is we are thinking of a weaning age of three to four weeks. And we know that the, to develop immunological memory and protection against um, that virus, it, it takes a few weeks. How shall we do that? So the immunologist in me um, tells me, leave the piglets longer with your, with your sows. Um, and if you give the vaccine developers or the vaccine time, let's say six to eight weeks f for that, um, purpose just to protect the pigs and yes we would have a lot more success in um in preventing it now if you talk to the swine producer they would say that's not possible right mm -hmm. it's just too big of a sacrifice money-wise that we actually give them that much time and i think that is our biggest issue that at weaning we create a situation where the pig is extremely stressed um it's then also very um um yeah very prone to um, become infected with viruses or bacteria. And with that co-mingling, we additionally put a lot of um, pathogenic pressure on these pigs, which are also, which are already suffering, um, which are already stressed and they don't have a really a functional immune response. And at that point, then also maternal immunity will be waning. It will decrease. So we have now that window um where we have a really vulnerable um, wiener with a lot of uh, pathogens coming into that exactly at the stage where we, at that point, cannot induce very strong immunity in the pig yet. So I think that's basically a problem that vaccinologists on their own cannot solve because we just don't have enough time. Swallowed. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AccuFast, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. FeedFlow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with FeedFlow. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. AB Vista. New nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Evonik Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Evonik's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. Well, good morning, listeners, or I should say good afternoon to our guests. I'm excited. Uh, Dr. Tobias uh, Kayser is joining us today. He's an assistant professor in immunology at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Vienna, Austria. Toby, how are you doing today? All good. All good. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome. So first, what do you want your listeners to know about you? Go ahead and introduce yourself for us. Oh, okay. <laughs> to know about me. Um, yeah, I'm a biologist. I studied in Germany, um, molecular biology, virology, um, 
and microbiology. And then on a, on a weird path, I started about uh, working in swine immunology. I focused on the T-cell response and the adaptive immune response um, in pigs. And um, I did that in Vienna already um, about 20 years ago now, huh? <laughs> from 2004 to 2013. And in 2013, I then joined VIDO, so the Vaccine Infectious Disease Organization um, in Saskatoon. I worked there with um, Dr. Francois Morin and Volker Gertz, and we established um, swine as a biomedical animal model um, for research on chlamydia trichomatis, so the sexually transmitted disease, uh, with a future goal to develop vaccines against it. And from 2013... Sorry, one second. <laughs> no, I, lo I, lo I lost track already. Now from 2016, actually, um, to uh, 2022, I then um, joined NC State, the College of Veterinary Medicine there, and um, was an assistant professor in swine immunology there. And there we um, continued with the chlamydia project. So we established the pig to um, develop vaccines against chlamydia. We studied food allergy and we worked a lot in PERS, what our swine community knows quite well. <laughs> and since 2023, um, I am back here in Vienna, um, where also the family of my wife is um, and lots of friends. Um, and we um, continue with the chlamydia research and see what else um, we can help with, um, probably also PERS. Yeah. That's basically... Awesome. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start there, Toby. Thanks for that introduction. Let's start big picture, right? As you know, stateside, um, in your past experience and in your current experience, right? And it feels like our battle against PERS has been ineffective. But we have learned some things. And specifically, what have you learned throughout your research and your work um, on how we can better fight PERS and, and how we can throw up better defenses against it? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, if someone really solved that, <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, but as you said, yeah, we, we've learned a lot and we, we still don't know exactly how to control it. And I think um, you're asking an immunologist here. Um, and the immunologist, as an immunologist, I see the issue of timing a lot. So um, we know that the immune response in pigs um, at early ages is it's just not as strong as if you have a, a healthy adult pig. And if you vaccinate this adult pig, um, you will get a, a really a pronounced immune response. And if you, for example, use a modified live virus vaccine, we also know that it can be heterologous. So we can create an immune response against different um, strains of PERS. Um, but in a young pig, this is extremely difficult. And especially if you think of how pigs are raised, um, we run into the challenge of creating um, heterologous immunity against an immunosuppressive virus at a very, very early stage. So if we are thinking of a weaning age of three to four weeks, and we know that the, to develop immunological memory and protection against um, that virus, it, it takes a few weeks. How shall we do that? So the immunologist in me um, tells me leave the piglets longer with your with your sows um, and if you give the vaccine developers or the vaccine time let's say six to eight weeks for that um, 
purpose just to protect the pigs then yes we would have a lot more success in um in preventing it now if you talk to the swine producer they would say that's not possible right mm-hmm. it's just too big of a sacrifice money wise that we actually give them that much time and i think that is our biggest issue that at weaning we create a situation where the pig is extremely stressed um it's then also very um um yeah very prone to um, become infected with viruses or bacteria. And with that co-mingling, we additionally put a lot of um, pathogenic pressure on these pigs, which are also, which are already suffering, um, which are already stressed and they don't have a really functional immune response. And at that point, then also maternal immunity will be waning. It will decrease. So we have now that window, um, where we have a really vulnerable um, wiener with a lot of uh, pathogens coming into that exactly at the stage where we, at that point, cannot induce very strong immunity in the pig yet. So I think that's basically a problem that vaccinologists on their own cannot solve because we just don't have enough time. But I do understand the pig producers on the other side as well, that they cannot say, hey, just because your vaccine is not working, now we're going to um, yeah, um, raise our pigs very differently and give them wean with six weeks of age. Not going to happen, right? So I think that is the biggest issue. It's timing and the time of the immune response, how long it takes to develop actually immunity against a virus like hers. Sure. So do you think that we'd be more effective in terms of bolstering the immunity? And one term that you use that I I really like is, you know, immunological memory, right? In terms of of bolstering the immunity within our, you know, guilt development and our sow herds to better protect those progeny. And how successful do you think, you know, that strategy has been? Um, Because, you know, there, there are cons to that, right? And we've seen that in terms of, you know, uh, you know, uh, vaccination, you know, um, basically going rogue and uh, basically becoming a wild type purge within systems, right? So, so kind of explain the pros and cons from your perspective as a scientist, Toby, on how those programs can be effective or ineffective. Boostering maternal immunity is generally a good thing, especially if you want to protect your um, nursery pigs, obviously. So we do know that it can be beneficial. And we've done a study where we combine with modified live virus vaccines with um, autogenous and activated vaccines. And that actually boosted the protection quite well, um, specifically through um, the transfer of neutralizing um, antibodies. So I think it is a good strategy um, to provide maternal immunity and have a really effective um, vaccination of the sows. on the other side, you also raised the issue that modified live virus vaccines can become problematic as well. And this is true, right? We, we've seen it that um, some modified live virus vaccines are really hard to eradicate. And we see that if they are actually in the system, pigs don't grow as well and cause also um, issues which are sometimes less, sometimes more, let's say. Um, and Optimally, we would have a, a non-modified live virus vaccine, which is as protective as a modified live virus vaccine. Um, the issue is we don't have that yet. So what we've seen is that we can induce um, strong immunological memory with good vaccines. Um, and we've also seen that, for example, 
um, during COVID, at the beginning, we had a bunch of different systems that actually went into um, that that pipeline. We said, okay, we are using now modified live virus vaccines, killed vaccines, and then mRNA vaccines came along. And if you follow that process down the road, what ended up being very successful were um, actually these mRNA vaccines, which is a new technology and it's not available yet for us um, because it's just too expensive actually to produce mRNA vaccines for pigs. It's just the cost will be too high. But what we see is that further down the road, we can there is a technology, there are different technologies that we can improve non-modified live vaccines um, to become really immunogenic and hopefully also protective against um, a virus like PERS. So I wouldn't give up hope yet, but until we actually have that optimal vaccine against PERS, it's a tough choice. Um, and I think there is no right answer. So it, I think it depends really on, on your problematic, um, how much um, cost do you have caused by PERS um, and I'm not a swine producer, so I think asking um, the vets out there, um, they will make the right decision and they know much better if you if they want to implement um, an MLV vaccination program or not. So there is no right answer, as I said. This is a balance of um, what is most cost-effective. Yeah, no, I appreciate that answer and that thought, Toby. One thing that I, I get asked from time to time, right, as a scientist and someone that's not an immunologist, you know, uh, immunologist, right, is to uh, what's the difference between an mRNA vaccine and a modified live vaccine and, and what's the technology around it and, you know, how how does the pig or in this case right with COVID, right, the human respond to those vaccines differently? So you provide a little, just a little bit of a breakdown of, of those different vaccines that are employed and, and what makes an mRNA vaccine different and maybe more effective than a modified live vaccine. <laughs> okay um well that could go hours and hours right. so if you can try to give us the four minute high level version toby the very high level version so um the modified live virus vaccine mimics um a virus infection right if you if we're talking about viruses what we do here um then you have that basically that virus infection it's very immunogenic because it's just you you have all the immunological triggers that you need to really stimulate the immune response. Now, obviously it has a huge downside because it's a live virus or not because viruses are not live, but <laughs> um, you know, it's a, a non-replication, so a replication, um, uh, yeah, like a live virus, <laughs> if you're taking it in the non-scientific term. Um, and then you have, um, for example, mRNA vaccines, which are also extremely immunogenic. Um, and they are very flexible in how you can design them. So you have now the advantage that the mRNA vaccines are nearly as effective as modified live virus, but without the downside that it's really infectious. So an mRNA vaccine um, is already also, it's providing um, the innate um stimuli um, that you can um, already activate the early phases of an immune response and it is uh, producing a lot of that um, protein that you have in there um, or what the mRNA is encoding for and it's directly delivered very nicely so you have a lot of the 
stimuli for the innate as well as for the adaptive immune system. So that's why they are so strong. And since you basically have only a lipid membrane with an mRNA in it, you can just simply swap the sequence of that mRNA. And that makes it very powerful because you can adapt it very quickly to different strains, which would be also highly um, highly advantageous uh, for persoxenes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that insight, Toby. Um, a little bit of a pivot. One area of your research that you've done um, in the past and currently is use the pig as a biological model for food allergy and vaccine development. Could you just kind of start big picture and highlight some of your work and findings from from that area of research. Um, yeah, so we've used it um, on the one side to develop vaccines against chlamydia and then also in food allergy. So. Um, if we start with the chlamydia project, um, we've seen that basically every pig of seven weeks of age has chlamydia, <laughs> um, which not a lot of people know. <laughs> yeah, I did um, not know that. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, chlamydia suis, um, which is the pig pathogen, um, and it's basically in every pig in North Carolina, but it was, yeah. Also, not not only North Carolina, all over the U.S. and you, you find it in Europe and all over the place. And it's mainly actually um, um, a gastrointestinal um, bacterium, which is not causing a lot of issues. And it's only if it's actually then um, transmitted to the uh, genital tract where it can cause um, issues also for the pig production. Um, and we've used that as a model to develop a vaccine against chlamydia trichomatis. Um, the big advantage of using pigs is um, here that on the one side, um, we can infect pigs with a human pathogen of chlamydia. So the chlamydia trichomatis, um, they are susceptible to it and they respond with the same immune response um, against it. Um, what we've also learned is that the immune response of um of the pig against chlamydia suis is actually also recognizing chlamydia trichomatis. So if we now use um, chlamydia pre-exposed, so for chlamydia suis pre-exposed pigs to develop um, a vaccine against chlamydia, chlamydia trichomatis, we have one big advantage on the one side, the, or two big advantages. On the one side, the pig is outbred, which is also means it is genetically diverse, just as humans, which is a big advantage over um, mice. And on the other side, with the cross-reactivity of chlamydia suis to chlamydia trichomatis, um, we now actually have a model that uh, mimics the clinical phases where you usually use, um, um, for sexually transmitted diseases, you use high-risk patients, which have previously been pre-exposed to chlamydia, trichomatis in that case. So now we have basically the same cohort of um, of individuals that we are using in our vaccine development phases as later as in the clinical trial. So we hope that with the outbred population, with the pre-exposure and also with the similarities, general similarities between pigs and humans, um, that we have a, a high chance that the results that we generate in pigs are actually translating to humans. And if we develop now a, a protective vaccine against chlamydia in pigs, that this will also be then successful in humans. So I think that with that, the pig is really predestined um, to be used as a vaccine development um, animal model for chlamydia. Um, and for the, um, for the food allergy project, um, it was actually started by a, by a colleague of mine and um, they actually found that they can induce food allergy in pigs um, 
using a sensitization and oral challenge um, model. And that the pig um, is mimicking also a lot of these immune responses um, that are developing in food allergy in humans. And um, also, so what we've looked at is, is uh, esophageal, eosinophilic esophagitis. Um, it's an allergy in the esophagus. And also, if you look physiology-wise, um, the pig is very close. So the pig esophagus is very closely related to uh, the human esophagus. So once more, we have just a similar size, similar physiology, similar immune system. And now with the developed um, sensitization and oral challenge, um protocol we can now actually induce um that food allergy in pigs and now have a good model that we um hopefully can use it for translation and research to develop new uh, methodologies to treat these diseases yeah no thanks for sharing that so the other part we've been highlighting you know your research your past findings and your insight right the other part about your role is is producing the, the future wave of scientists so Kind of explain your role currently, Toby, at, at the University of, of you know Veterinary Medicine in Vienna, Austria, and how you support the next generation of scientists and and veterinarians. Um, yeah, so my role here is um, as it was in in um, North Carolina. It is. Um, let's say one third is teaching and two third um, is research. But also during the research, we actually try to promote. Um, yeah creating the next <laughs> uh, the next veterinary researchers um, and also veterinarians. So my role here, um, what I would highlight is that I try to, um, on the one side, um, collaborate a lot with, um, on the one side with the industry, but also with cl clinicians. So that has been shown to be um, very successful in the US. And I want to continue in that matter uh, in that we, both on in basically in all my projects we never did that on our own so we always worked for purse we worked with the swine industry with the vaccine industry so and you get so much insight from really good uh, swine veterinarians jeremy Pittman, for example um or um if you work with the um with the uh, vaccine industry um we work with a lot with elenco mark hammer and we these discussions were just like these are the problems we have and if you um then have someone who's talking both languages this is really great and so this is what helps us doing good research and if you then incorporate um really talented um and motivated students then this is already going by itself to you so you don't have to do much then um you just have to provide them with a good projects and then some um, some mentoring that they do the work. Our last review, for example, on um, the um, immune correlates of protection in purse, um, that was all done by, by Andrew Kick. So he was driving that. This was his thing. You just give them the space to, to grow and um, they will do that on their own. So I think that is what a, what a mentor should do. Not you need to do this A, B, C, and D, but rather really provide them with the space that they can grow and learn on their own. Yes, yeah, you have to provide the runway where they can fail just a little bit because oftentimes, exactly. right, <laughs> we, we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes, right? So, yeah. No, An expert awesome. is someone who has done the most um, mistakes in one, um, in one specific area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic. 
We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Well, I have kind of four fun questions to end on here for us, Toby. The first is, what's your favorite thing to do in Vienna in the fall? Going outside to the Danube, uh, Donaupark, the park of the Danube, I think. Um, with my two little kids um and that is that is just fun i've done that yesterday evening it was yeah spontaneous and this is just great just hanging out there having a picnic and they are running around it's nice yeah that's awesome what's the biggest hurdle that you've overcome that you're the most proud of i honestly don't know of a of a single specific thing it's rather a um I think I think a rather a mindset that my my mantra is it always works out somehow, mm-hmm. and I generally um, look at the solutions and not so much at the um, issues. And I think this is this is it's rather the mindset and in general that it's working out somehow. Don't fret too much about it. Um, I think I've learned that over my lifetime and this is that learning that is um i think what i'm basically most proud of that it it always works out somehow yes yeah it always does um what's your favorite pork recipe my favorite um it's it's a pork roast it's actually in in I think yeah, an Austrian way to do it. So you have the whole the whole shoulder with the fat on top and then you you cut it open um so you cut the fat and then you put it in the oven as a whole and then you just slice it. It's just it's delicious. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Especially as we come into the fall, right? Yes, exactly. All right, so my last question here, Toby, for you is if you could solve one of your research questions that you have currently tomorrow, which would you pick? Which one would I pick? I think it's the food allergy. Mm. Having no food allergy... Um, I know I'm working on chlamydia. This is my 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 top project right now, um, but I think having no food allergy, seeing what food allergy, how it can impact um, people's life, is just no food allergy anymore. Out of the three, I would pick that one. Yeah, no, completely agree. That that's a great one. You know, even just as a as a pork producer, right? You know, with the the tick borne illness, you know that we. We have, you know, fighting, you know, red meat consumption, right? Just a solution around that would be would be awesome, right? And and just the ability to help feed and, and um, nutrition the world. If there were less barriers about, you know, what people can consume versus can't consume due to, you know, health implications, man, that makes that uh, question just a little bit easier to answer for us, doesn't it? So, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, Toby, I want to really thank you for your time today. This was enlightening um i'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it because i know i did um for our listeners i hope you turn into future episodes of the swine podcast and i wish you a great day